All right, guys. Well, welcome. Welcome again to our series. We are in spiritual warfare um, starting on the third week. Uh, sorry about this slide, actually. This is, we do have a fusion youth class, but that's second service. Uh, if your kids want to come back to that or if you're of that age range, come back to second service after worship, and they have a great time in there. But we're in this series called Spiritual Warfare, and I want to get right into it because today we're talking about one of the most ruthless enemies that we have in this spiritual battle that you and I face. You see, spiritual warfare is, is this, this war, this attack, this battle that we have against truth, against our faith. It's with temptation. It's a, it's a spiritual war that makes its way to the physical world. And you and I know that we all have an enemy. And the enemy that we're going to talk about today is so pervasive, so influential, so opposed to God that some of us may think, how, how are we going to win this war? It seems impossible with an enemy that powerful. What are we going to do? So who's the enemy that I'm talking about? You think it's Satan, but it's really you, the flesh. You see, we're going to talk about Satan next week, and we talked about the world last week, but really the most influential evil force in our lives is this internal spiritual nature that you and I have that we were born with called the flesh, what the Bible calls the flesh. This is the enemy from within. You see, these other enemies, the world and the devil, they certainly have influence and they are certainly powerful, but the flesh is something that we cannot escape from. We cannot get, get away from our own selves. I've heard so many people think when they're having problems in life, right? When, so many people think that when life's getting crazy or chaotic or hectic, I just need to move. I just need to move or I need to go away somewhere. I need to go to a monastery. I need to, to go on vacation. I need to get out of this city that's caused me so much trouble. And sometimes you should do that. But... As my, my wife has said so many times in, you know, when we lead recovery groups, the problem with that is, is trying to run away from your problems is that wherever you go, there you are. You're always going to take yourself with you, this, this inner force, this self that is opposed to God. And let me show you where we get this from. I'm going to go to our key verse for the series. It's in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, what he's pointing out here is, is as we've been breaking apart these different concepts out of this verse, we talked about the world last week. The, the course of this world is what we used to follow. Did you know that our flesh, along with Satan, is responsible for making the world the way that it is? The evil that is within every human being wants the world to be the way that it is so that we can carry out the desires that we want, so that we can do the evil things that we, we so desperately want to do in this nature 
that we have. We have these desires that go against God, and, and, and because of that, natural man are born children of wrath. They're born spiritually dead. Somebody asked me just last night, I was at a, a family reunion, and somebody, a, a guest who had, had, was brought by a family member asked, aren't we all just children of God? And then my wife was like, oh, no. Don't ask him that. Oh, this is, it's over. She, was, she needed to leave the room. She knew what was about to ensue after someone would ask that question. Um, and I, I just couldn't let it go, you know? I was just like, uh. He said, aren't we just all children of God? I said, who? All of us who are you talking about? I said, no, most people aren't children of God, actually. We're not born in a right relationship with God, we're born spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, and, and not just what we were inherited, but we also carry on to do those things until the Lord Jesus came and saved us to free us from our passions. And I said, most of us, no, are not children of God. You cannot be, become a child of God until you are adopted by faith in Jesus Christ. So that's what that means when it talks about children of wrath like the rest of mankind, everybody is not headed to heaven when they're born. There was no spiritual existence before this. But no, we were created as human beings in a fallen state because we inherited it from the beginning, the original sin. So we have this nature that is built into us. And so let's give a definition. The flesh is a compulsive inner force which is in opposition and rebellion against God. Naturally, we don't want to do the things of God. We want to go our own way. And so the question is, well, where did this come from then? Why, is, why me? Why do I have to be this way? Wasn't I created like this? And if, an, if I was created with these passions and desires, wasn't it God's fault? You know, if I, if I desire sin, if I desire to, to live a certain lifestyle, but it makes me happy and it makes me feel good, isn't that good enough? Didn't God create me this way? Therefore, he's wrong and I'm right. That's what a lot of people say, and people are confused out there in the world. We've got to get this right. This is called the doctrine of original sin. Understanding that is very crucial to even understanding the gospel. If we don't get that right, we're not going to get anything else right. We've got to understand how bad we really are to understand how good God really is. And so here's where it started. We'll go back to Genesis chapter 3. God created everything good. You know, fast forward, Satan had pride. He's kicked out of heaven. So down on earth, he's allowed to, to tempt the first human beings, Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. And here's the scene where God had said, don't eat from this one tree. You've got everything and all, all of creation is yours. But this one thing I just don't want you to do. And that's what Satan used to tempt him. It says, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Isn't that just how it works for us? There are things out there in the world that seem beautiful, that look delicious, that offer 
this lie of making us more wise or more healthy or uh, more knowledgeable. And we follow after that, even if God has said, no, don't go that way. Satan knows how to come in and tempt us. And so what happens is, is these human beings, they're the only human beings ever in existence that had true free will. They weren't, they weren't bent a certain way. They were created with free will, and they had the choice. They had two influencers. They had God and they had Satan, so there was influence. But after this, when they chose to go Satan's way instead of God's way, we became Satan's followers, and now we're naturally bent. There was a curse that happens if you read on in the rest of chapter 3, a curse now that makes it so we are a slave to sin in our sin nature. So people want to think that there's still some sort of like free will and everybody has a choice. But have you ever met a person that's never sinned? No, you haven't. Because they can't help themselves because of this nature that is cursed in them now. So it is, is it really free will when a person can't choose to not sin? He's not truly in free will at all. And that's where you and I as human beings now are in the flesh. We have this sin nature that's been passed down from Adam and Eve. Procreation, that's where we came from. And they continued to multiply human beings on the earth, which was born with this nature that is naturally opposed to God. Paul talks about it like this in Romans 8, 7. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God, it never did obey God's laws, and it never will. So I wanted you to, I wanted to start off with this, just this, this idea that, that we are born in this sinful nature. Another word for it is the flesh. In different translations, that will be interchangeable, flesh and sin nature. This is understanding this inner force that we're all born with that we have. But the question is, but what about believers now? What about Christians like when we get saved, when we trusted in Jesus for salvation and the forgiveness of our sins, don't we just go on to not sin anymore and have that inner force in us? Isn't that eradicated? I think some people would like to believe that that's true, and there have been, been Christian denominations who have argued over this, but the reality is, is the truth is, no, that is not eradicated in us. The flesh is still there. Now we have two natures, not just one, but two. When we trusted in the Lord Jesus, we became children of God. We became born again, the Bible says. We were spiritually dead in Ephesians 2, but now we've been made alive. And God gave us his spirit as a guarantee. So now all believers have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. And now they, they can go God's way. They've been freed from this slavery to, to only go this natural way that, that seeks after the desires and the pleasures and the passions of the flesh and following the prince of the power air and following the course of this world. Now we have this other power inside of us, but that kind of is hard. If anybody ever told you that becoming a Christian is so easy, all you got to do is just have faith and then the rest of your life is going to be amazing. You know, there are people on TV, uh, you know, televangelists and preachers that preach, you know, coming to faith is going to make you healthier, wealthier, and happier, but that is just not true either. Now, I'm not saying that you won't be given joy beyond all comprehension, that you won't be able to be able to, to endure through so much, 
um, with, with happiness. And I'm not saying that there is not blessing in, in being a child of God. There is more blessing than one could imagine. To be adopted by the God of the universe who owns everything and has all power, there is a lot of inheritance that comes with that as a child of God. But yet we have this war going on inside of us now. Two natures against each other now, constantly warring with one another. And we're constantly like, almost like, you know, what would you call it? We're uh, schizophrenic. Because we got this good and this evil, and it's just this constant war and battle, and we're constantly spinning around. If repentance means to turn around, then this is what the Christian life looks like. You know, because you're constantly turning from God, and then going back to God, and turning from God, and going back to God. It's a struggle. Paul talks about it in Galatians 5. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Again, does that look like free will to you? No, I'm not free to do the good things I want to do, because I've got this force in me that wants me to do evil, which is me, which is what I have to be accountable to. So many people want to blame, blame the spiritual warfare, the struggles that they're going through in life on the devil. The devil made me do it, you know, or, or he's just getting after me so bad, you know, like, and, and people aren't changing their lifestyle and following Christ and following the Spirit, but they're, they're wondering why their life is so chaotic and things are going um, in a place that is, is causing so much pain and stress and and trial in their life, and, and people are always almost, the, it's always the last resort to look internal. It's the first resort to start blaming every, everybody else, right? Say amen to that in marriage, right? If you're married today, or if you have teenagers, it's your, it's your fault. It's everybody else's fault. It's the teacher's fault. It's the car's fault. It's not my fault. But really, the reality is, is this nature that we have in us. is The enemy within is the crafty of, of them all. Romans 7, Paul talks about this same concept. He says, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? Paul who a lot of people would say he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, this guy's got to be the holiest, holiest guy who ever lived other than Christ. And he certainly had credentials as, as a former Jewish Pharisee to say, I've lived a holy life, but yet he himself is saying, and hopefully this brings you encouragement to know that you're not alone in this battle, that even the guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament is saying, I've got this war in my mind that is constantly coming at me and trying to get me to do these things that I no longer want to do. But there's still this pull in me. He says, what a miserable person that I am. I'm in this battle. Who's going to free me from this? Another translation says, body of death. He's chained to a body of death. I've heard people explain this. Some scholars believe that uh, an, an ancient form of torture or discipline for murder was that you would, 
you would take the guy who was guilty and you would, you would tie him to a dead body, the body that he actually killed, the person that he murdered. And so, so this guy would be tied to the, the body that he killed and, and just left there. And over time, what would happen is that the body would decompose and it would decompose so much so that it would start to creep on to the, the guy who was alive and start to just eat away at him until he died. Sounds like a terrible way of, of discipline and torture. But that's the picture he's using with, with his flesh. He's got this body of death that he's guilty for tied to him. And he needs to be freed from it. Otherwise, he's doomed. But that's, that's where the idea of Christian spiritual warfare comes from. That was my first point, is that the flesh is a compulsive inner force which is in opposition and rebellion against God. I want you to understand that so that there are no more excuses about the struggles that we have and where they come from, certainly, or at least the part that we take in it. But, so what can we do about this? We can't get rid of the flesh in this life anymore. We can't get rid of it. It's going to be there until Jesus comes back and makes us new. One day, we, that is the hope of Christianity. One day we will have new bodies and we won't have to deal with sin and sorrow and pain and brokenness anymore. But until that point, what are the tools that we need to fight this war? Well, we need to know first and foremost that it exists and secondly, that there are things in, in which we choose to do or not to do what will cause us to feed the flesh or to feed the spirit. How we live determines how we fight this battle. And so Christians, when we're talking about footholds and strongholds, footholds, you know, are little things that help us um, get to a place where we're more vulnerable and then eventually a stronghold in our life is where ultimately the enemy, the world, and all the evil influences can take domination, dominion over us. Christians can open doors to spiritual attack by dabbling in sin and leave, living in unrepentance. So we still sin as believers. We still struggle, all right? But, but the thing is, is that we've been, we've been forgiven of that. And so does that mean we go on to never, you know, never sin anymore? Or do we have to keep, keep, you know, asking Christ to come into our lives? No, we did that one time, once for all. Jesus died once for all. But yet, repentance means, as I said, to turn around or to turn from your sins and to confess and to, to acknowledge that that was evil and that I, I, I want to change my life and want to go God's way and not my own. To live in rebellion, then, is the opposite. To not repent, to not live in a, a repentant lifestyle would say that I can do whatever I want. I don't care what God's word says. And so, therefore... I'm going to live however I want. And this is the type, the, type of, the type of mentality that gets people into spiritual attack, that gets people into these strongholds that we're talking about. There's a list in, in Galatians 5 that we've showed several times at church. I'm going to go over it really quick again about these flesh, this sinful nature. Here's what our sinful nature wants to do. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarrying, jealousy, Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, 
wild parties, and other sins like these, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I, I highlighted these in different colors because I think we can classify them in, in some easy-to-understand categories. The first in red, I would say, is sexual sin. Any kind of sin, any kind of, any kind of sexual or intimate relationship outside of uh, the marriage between a man and a woman for life is what the sinful nature wants to do. But God's way is to be married, man and woman for life. Any kind of sex outside of that relationship is sin. And when we, when we dabble in that or when we live in that and say this is okay for me because love is love and this makes me happy and this is the way I was created, when we live in that type of mind frame, what happens is, is God says, okay, if that's what you want, then go ahead. If you want to live far from me, then go ahead. But I pull my protection away from you, and you can experience the consequences of your actions. If you don't want to be, follow me and, and live the way that I've called you to live, then certainly you're going to experience the pain and suffering that will come from not being under the protection of God. Romans 1, 24 through 25, if you go read chapter 1 of Romans and read the whole context of it, it's talking about sexual sins. It's talking about, uh, you know, women with women and men with men. And he says this, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God created Instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And so what people, what human beings, what the flesh has done has elevated the human desires and the natural feelings and thinking to God's status. It's, it's, it's like idolatry. When I say my feelings and my happiness and, and my internal desires are better than and, 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 and more important to me than what God says in his word, then I've, I've traded the truth about God for a lie, and I start to worship these created things rather than the creator. And so the scary part about this whole thing, though, is the God abandoning them. Three times in this chapter, it says God gave them over to their depravity. He gave them over. He abandoned them. That's a judgment that happens. And certainly, so... If God gives a people group or a nation or a person over, who's he giving them over to? Certainly, the, the ultimately, under, back under the authority of, of Satan, of the dominion of their flesh the, on which they once walked is what Ephesians 2 says. Like, there's this giving over that's, that's fearful. And I think the thing that we have to consider here is this, that I certainly believe that once a person is truly saved, they're saved for the rest of their lives and they can't lose their salvation. But for some people who claim to be Christian, but live lifestyles like this, stuck in their flesh and their sinful nature, and they aren't living in a, a, a repentant frame of mind and lifestyle, I think the question is, they ought to think whether they've been saved truly or not. Whether they really do believe that Christ died for all of their sins, and that they've been given the Holy Spirit to have the power over the sinful nature. That's the scary thing, is when a person is living in unrepentance, we're not sure what to do. We're not sure whose they are or who they are. 
And so for me, I remember in my life, um, I struggled with this other thing on the list, along with, you know, sexual sins as well. But this, this next one, idolatry, sorcery, drunkenness, and wild parties, I, I would classify that all as like drug and alcohol use and partying. Um, Ephesians 5 says it like this. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Debauchery is what I used to live. That's the way I used to live. And debauchery really means excessive and out-of-control behavior, including sex, drugs, alcohol. It's the seduction from duty, allegiance, and virtue to God. Debauchery is just living out of control, all right? And, and that is the way that I used to live. And I, I remember... Well, first of all, I want to help you guys understand why I preach the way that I do. Sometimes I'm a little bit intense, and it's probably because of my background in history, but there was this one time that I heard a sermon on on Matthew chapter 7, and it it was about, like, not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, and I, and I, you know, I was, I, I was baptized as a kid, and I but I was struggling with, with addiction, and I remember hearing this sermon, and I thought to myself, like, am I really a Christian? Like, do I really have the faith? You know, it caused me to question, like, what's going to happen to me when I die? Like, am I really a sold-out saint, a believer? And, and that was a changing point in my life when, when someone was willing to be direct and, and truthful and, and not just fill me with a bunch of fluff, but, but take the word of God and show me what it really says. And so I can't help but do that with you guys sometimes because I love you. I love everyone and I want people to hear the truth. And maybe sometimes I don't have the, the best personal skills or interpersonal skills or come off so warm and inviting and maybe you've invited your friends sometimes and you were like scared how they felt you know but I want you to understand that this is out of love that we talk about stuff like this and and so I think that this should cause us to wonder why why are we going through what we're going through in spiritual warfare why is God allowing this in our lives who's the enemy Am I a person who comes to church on Sunday but gets drunk on the we- or gets drunk throughout the week or on the weekend? Am I a person that gives over the control of myself to other things, other substances, other chemicals? Am I controlled by my lusts for things I see on TV or the possessions and power and career and fame? Am I controlled by those things or am I controlled by the Spirit? I think that's what he's getting at here. Don't give yourself over to the control of other things. Let the Holy Spirit control you. Then you will be able to live in self-control and have the fruits of the Spirit rather than to live out of control. But I want to I help you with the solution to this problem because I know that this can be very convicting. The solution is simple. We win the war by consciously choosing to believe the gospel again and walk by the Spirit. I heard somebody say this. His, his name's Vadi Bakum. He's one of my favorite preachers. He said, Christians don't need good advice They need good news. As we talk about the flesh and the depravity of humanity, 
If we don't understand that, then we don't understand, as I said before, how good, how good the gospel really is. If you don't understand how bad we really are, then you don't know how good it is that we've got a, a Savior who gave us a free gift by dying on the cross and taking our place, the wrath that we deserved. Christians are constantly, they get saved, and then they think, I need more. And they think the more, they think the meat in the more is all of this, this other stuff, like a step-by-step -step program of religion. People think, I need people to tell me rules. I need people to, to uh, give me these step-by-step these -step instructions of advice to make my life better. And while there are good practical things that we can learn in the Bible, none of those things save you and change you from the inside out. It's the gospel that changes you and me. It's good news that we were so ultimately depraved and dead that God took us from where we were from and made us alive. If we go back to this verse again, it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So many people minimize the gospel and they say, you know, they, they liken it to like, uh, you know, drowning and and, and, and the Savior, he came with a life raft, and he threw this life raft out to you while you were drowning, and, 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 and all you had to do was just swim to that life raft and grab onto it and, and say thank you, and, and that's all it is. But the reality of what this verse is saying is, is that no, it wasn't just a life raft thrown your way. It was Jesus jumping into the water, grabbing you and pulling you onto shore and then giving, resuscitating you and giving you <laughs> new life, breathing new life into your lungs because you were dead, it says. And you know what? Dead men and women can't grab things. They can't grab for a life raft. They need to be taken and grabbed in themselves. And that is what it says if we go on we were children of wrath because we were dead spiritually. But here's the good news. It says, but God. That's just, I wish I had a mic not attached to me. I would drop it right now. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You didn't earn your good graces with God. Grace is undeserved favor or merit. Something that you can't get. This is his love for you in spite of you and all that you do. And the struggle is that a lot of Christians fall into after they get saved. They start to listen to different people and different teachers. And they fall under legalism and religion. I love when in Galatians 3, Paul says to the Galatians, he says, Oh, you foolish Galatians. Having been uh, saved and, and, and made new by the Spirit, or are you now going to be perfected in the flesh? Are you going to go on to try to do all these, these rules and, and laws and follow religion and be perfected by the flesh? No, you just need more of God. Do you really understand the gospel? Jesus says it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. We can't rely on our fleshly outward actions and works to defeat this enemy that we have. We need the spirit of God. In a couple weeks, we're going to talk more about how to follow the spirit and spiritual disciplines. There are things that we do 
that help us get closer to God, but just know that the power of God is with you already at the moment that you believed. When Paul said, who will free me from this body of death? He answers it in Romans 7. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So therefore, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now I'm going to say something to you that you might be shocked by. But Jesus forgave our sins past, present, and future. In Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, you go back, it says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we might be blameless, that we might be washed clean, that we would be set apart and freed by, by Jesus Christ. And you don't think that if he, if he could choose us before we were ever created, that he didn't know the sins that we were going to commit all the way to the end of our life? And sometimes we struggle because because Satan is called the accuser of the brethren, and so as a Christian, we'll start sinning, and we start struggling, and then he comes in, and he's like, yeah, you see, you're not saved. Yeah, you see, you're not a good Christian. You ought to just take it farther. You might as well just go all the way. But understanding that, no, there is no, now that I'm a believer in Christ, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. There is no way that I can be separated from the love of God, the body of death, even though it still exists, has no power over me anymore that's going to lead to my spiritual death. And that is the mindset, the faith it takes to fight spiritual warfare, to know that God is on your side, that he saved you, that he chose you once for all. And whatever war, whatever struggle, whatever trial you're going through right now is not enough. For him to say he does not love you anymore. And when you can grasp and hold on to that, I believe you can endure through anything in this life. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. I think of that verse, but God, comma, but God. You could add so many things to that list. But God, you are so rich in mercy we don't deserve your love, but you give it to us anyway. We are your children now. Help us to go out into the world, Father, and, and to say no, to fight the temptation, to, to battle the flesh and to battle the devil, knowing that we're already victors in Jesus Christ. Help us to follow you and walk by the spirit that you gave us, God. And thank you that you put that new nature in us so that we don't have to try to figure out how to love you back and follow you but your spirit is ever present in us to follow you and do the things that you've called us to do. Let us listen to him and follow him more and follow the flesh less in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.